It's time for the No Shot Clock Podcast. We're talking the biggest stories in Illinois high school basketball. Now, here are your hosts, Michael O'Brien of the Chicago Sun-Times and Joe Hendrickson of the City Suburban Boost Report. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 103 after a marathon weekend at the Team Rose shootout. Michael O'Brien put a little more time in than I did even. Uh, Mike, you were you were early bird and caught that early game each day, and I stumbled a little bit late, but um, that is a that is a marathon. It is those two days. Yes, um, <laughs> I'm not going to say I regret it, Joe, <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know if I needed to see quite as much as I did, but you never know what you're going to miss. So. I was there, and uh, you know, and, and kudos to Mike Oliver and uh, Jarrell Oliver and everybody involved with that because I wouldn't be there at those games. I didn't necessarily need to be if it wasn't like a comfortable, easy place for me to work and to know I can get things done while I'm there. And that really makes it easy, and it makes it possible for me to you know show up at 11 a.m. to watch Ignatius and Westinghouse because I'm not stuck in some weird corner with everything on my lap. So yeah. that makes it a little bit better. Yeah, a little bit, little bit part of my one of my takes. Uh, we'll kind of expand on that a little bit, a little bit later in a show or our podcast here. And today we'll have our questions. We've got a few, and then we'll get into our our regular two takes. And then we're going to give our early season surprises. We're a little, probably a quarter of the way in, and we've taken in a lot, uh, especially this weekend. And we're going to give three surprises of that Mike has and I have, and uh, and then we'll we'll, we'll uh, take a little peek ahead to a little bit of a slow week before the mad rush of holiday tournament time. Indeed, we'll start it off with the questions. First up, Bobby Coleman, who I believe is a rookie, and he asks a question a lot of people might have been wondering after watching Bogan at the Team Rose shootout. He wants to know if Antoine Bloxton is the best scorer in the city. I mean, it's it's uh, you could definitely argue it because he he is a dynamic scorer, a bucket getter of varying degrees, as he showed. You know, he he makes tough shots too, and a variety of them. You know, he he's a, he. I I think he. I, I wrote about this a little bit. I thought he shot it a little bit more than than he usually does. He's pretty. You know he's pretty under control most of the time, and uh, he he took a few ill advised shots and forced some things. But I mean, I I would say he Antoine Bloxton, Devin Davis, Anna Miller, you know DJ Stewart's a, a, a terrific scorer. You know those are the guys I would I would put right at the top. Uh, I don't know if I can single out one. If if Bloxton was a little bit more efficient he would probably be number one for sure. Uh, but he's a pretty high volume guy and, uh, but he is pretty electric with the basketball. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah. The group Joe talks about for sure. You know, I, I do think Bloxton's Bloxton and DJ are the two that DJ Stewart are the two that score in the most different ways. Yes. So I think it would have to, I I would go with one of those two if it came down to it, most likely. 
And, and you know, kudos to Bloxton. I mean, we had high hopes for him coming into the season. You know, I think I especially talked about him an awful lot in the preview. Really, really liked him as a player. But he's even, he's lived up to those expectations so far and maybe a little bit more, I would say, overall. Uh, as has Bogan until Notre Dame came at him <laughs> pretty hard that day. We'll talk more about that later, I'm sure. Next up, Frederick Baker says, Now that you have seen all 2A teams... I have not seen all two A teams. I have seen Corliss and Orr, though, and they're one and two right now. He wants to know who I who I believe is the favorite to win it all. And it's an interesting question, and I hope I'm not being too... You know, I've only seen Orr once. Uh, Reggie Strong is not with them yet. Sounds like he will be. Um, but he isn't there yet, and that's a big piece. They do have everyone else that's gonna, that transferred was playing. You know, from Norvell Meadows to Bryce Hall and all of them. It was definitely not an or team. I, I'm worried a little bit about saying this because it's going to bite me in the butt later. I just don't think it's to the level of the last two years. And even with Reggie Strong, I don't think it quite gets there simply because of the size. You know, there just isn't the dominant size. And I believe on a two-way run, that's what's really rough on a lot of the two-way teams, that Orr has all that size. So I think they are the favorite right now. You know, I haven't seen Winnebago and Pinckneyville and Nashville and Mart and all those teams. But in our area, they're the best. The Corliss is right on their heels, though. I think Corliss is a lot closer than I would have thought. Um, I'm hearing interesting things in the city about Clark. They're currently unbeaten. They have uh, two pretty good, maybe college level players, from what I hear as well. And there's always Marshall. Timothy Christian's off to a seven and one start. They picked up a nice win uh, over the weekend. But yeah, I think maybe I don't want to get anybody's hopes up too much that thinks Orr isn't going to win it again. But th- right now, they don't look like they're quite as dominant. Yeah, I agree. I I, I don't have to worry about anything biting me in the butt because I. They could still win 2A without being anywhere near what they were the past two years. I, yeah. uh, last few years. I, I, I just, I don't see it happening, Mike, it, it, them being at that level at all. I, I just think those teams were, were clearly better than, not from just the size standpoint, but overall talent. And it's interesting that game this past weekend that kind of flew under the radar a little bit because it was in the southern part of the state down in Edwardsville. Collinsville, or uh, I'm sorry, or beat Pinckneyville, uh, 71-67 in double overtime. So Pinckneyville, a high school basketball giant down in the southern part of the state and tradition-rich place that that loves their basketball. So I, that was a big test for Orr, and they pass. And that's 2A basketball right there. You're probably talking two of the best teams in 2A, and who knows, they could play again in Peoria. But yeah, I mean... I still believe they're very capable of winning a state title. They're just, they've come back to the pack though, for sure. Uh, There are rumors, well not rumors. I've been told they have a transfer from New York there. I don't know if he's tall. Or, or? Yes. They got a transfer? (laughs) Are you, are you surprised? Oh, I I, I thought they were done. I just feel like they had their, their allotted (laughs) amount. I just feel like we're going to say this and then Reggie Strong's going to come in. Be really good, and then this transfer is going to be six eight, and all of a Shreve sudden, Kennedy part two. Yeah, and all of a sudden, this team's just going to be a killer. So th- that's why I'm hesitant because we haven't seen the finished product yet. Yeah, because <laughs> Sharif Kenny, I guess, didn't play until last January last year. Exactly, so. and all of a sudden they were amazing. But yeah, so take all of that with a grain of salt. We'll see how it, how it uh, shakes out. Next up, Marty Machazik uh, says, "Hey, Mike and Joe, he enjoyed the discussion on the holiday tournaments and the unfortunate decline of Proviso West." 
I sure hope that he's not the only one that enjoyed that because I was a little worried about our ranting. Uh, but Marty asks if we think the proliferation of shootouts and big events, some of which really aren't that big, has taken away the attraction of some of the holiday tournaments. Has the increase in Martin Luther King weekend tourneys also played a role in this as well? What do you think, Joe? Definitely not the Martin Luther King weekend as anybody's listened to the podcast or, or heard me right. Uh, I am just not a huge big fan of, uh, I almost think that Martin Luther King weekend's a mid season exhibition weekend, but, uh, I, I don't think the shootout, the, the, I mean, I think the amount of big shootouts that matter really haven't increased too much, you know, uh, definitely there's a, there's more of them, but there's a lot of, ho-hum ones uh and, that, and that's fine and that's one of my takes here in a little bit but no i don't i don't think uh those shootouts or martin luther king weekend have impacted holiday tournaments yeah i really don't either and if anything i worry a little bit that we don't have enough good high profile shootouts anymore we have not replaced the city suburban you know which was an epic event and the hillcrest shootout looms large in my mind i felt like that was a star making event and, and as good as the Team Rose one is, and even the Chicago Elite Classic, you know, and, and when sides collide, I feel like for some, for whatever reason, that Hillcrest shootout just did it every year. And I miss it. Yeah, I, again, my take coming up is on shootouts, so we'll, yeah, we'll no dive, dive a little more into that. Uh, next up is Ron. He's got two questions, and sorry, Ron. Ron sent this for last week's podcast, and I missed it, uh, but... Luckily, these questions still completely pertain, so it all worked out. His first question, Kendrick Nunn is in the running for NBA Rookie of the Year for the Miami Heat. We all know how talented Nunn is, but did you guys foresee him as an NBA talent when he was at Simeon? Uh, I mean, I was probably one of the biggest Kendrick Nunn fans out there. I mean, I think Mike and I even debated on our own a little bit about Kendrick a little bit. Uh, But no, I did not. I mean, it's funny. I was talking to his dad, Melvin Nunn, uh, this past weekend at, at Team Rose Shootout, and just kind of, you know, I was joking back and forth because it came out of nowhere, you know. And uh, you know, I asked him how many big games he's been to. He's been to about six of them live, and it's got to be an exciting time, you know, for Melvin Nunn and that family to see Kendrick just kind of explode on the scene. And and he gave me some stories of some. Some Jimmy Butler, Kendrick Nunn, back and forth exchanges and stuff. So it, it was some good stuff uh, talking with him. I did not see, you know, what he's doing in the NBA. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he made the NBA and kind of stuck around a little bit because I just he had two things. He was a bucket. I mean, he just made baskets, and I should say three things. He's very athletic, and the third thing is people underestimated how competitive and tough he was. He was ultra competitive and ultra tough. And that lends itself to, because he's an undersized two guard in the NBA. And uh, he found a situation and a spot now that he is thriving in. And, and because he's not, I mean, he's got a great now opportunity to, to get a contract a little bit different than some of the other rookies. Cause right now I'm like, he's I mean, John Morant's probably going to win the NBA rookie of the year, but I mean, he could be runner up rookie of the year in the NBA. That's awesome. Yeah. I, yeah. As you said, 
okay, I'm not. I never ever thought Kendrick Nunn was going to be NBA Rookie of the Year. No, um, the athleticism <laughs> though, always completely next level, and so it wouldn't have shocked me if someone said that Kendrick Nunn over six years or whatever, you know, really improved and was an NBA player. The athleticism right. was there, and that's what you needed. Because worse players have. You know, oh, yeah. and Kendrick Nunn have actually made it to the NBA from Chicago. Yeah, no I mean, doubt. I, I, yeah, he's a fascinating player uh, in a lot of different ways. In the kind of the lore of you know those great Simeon teams, and I, you know, Illinois fans can say what they want or shrug or disagree or agree, but if Kendrick Nunn is doesn't run into some off court issues and misses his senior year at Illinois, uh, I believe they make the tournament that year and John Gross is still there and I could go on and on about what would have happened. But so he's just, uh, but it's great to see, just to see Kendrick be able to kind of explode on the scene the way he has. And he was such a hard player kind of in my defense, such a hard player to judge in high school because I am not used to judging anyone that is Jabari Parker's Robin to his Batman. You know what I mean? That's like, Players like Jabari Parker don't come along very often. And so it's strange when you spend your whole career as second fiddle, like one of the biggest talents ever right. on the same high school team. It's just weird. And then to that point, Mike, I was kind of why I loved him so much because I, I found it the other direction where he he was almost underappreciated oh, yeah. because, because of that. And some of his I, I, I just, uh, you know, he was a top, it wasn't like he's a sleeper guy. I mean, he was a top 75 player in the country and um, in the national rankings. And you received plenty of fanfare from us and oh, exactly. everybody. What makes it seem under the rate, what makes it seem unlikely is that all the guys that got all the attention those years haven't made it well in the NBA. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, Cliff and Jalil and Jabari. Well, that and how he just, what I said earlier, he exploded on the scene. And he's not just like, oh, yeah, Kendrick Nunn's in the NBA. He's coming off the bench and averaging, you know, getting like 12 minutes, five minutes a game. Or, I mean, geez, those right out of the, right out of the shoot of the NBA season. I mean, he put up massive numbers the first week. So that's why, that's why to me, it's more surprising than anything. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he is older. He's, I mean, he's 24. And mm-hmm. John Morant's, what, 20, 21? Right. Um, Because, you know, he worked hard to get there. He took had a rough path. Anyway, next up um, from Ron, he says, what is the point of committing before your senior season? Ahmad Bynum recently committed to DePaul, which I think is great for the program and Chicago prep hoops in general. But won't he continue to be unofficially recruited by other programs? And if he has a big season, as most expect him to, will he not be inundated with high major offers that will cause him to reconsider? Well, first of all, basketball is completely different than football. Football, there's does a commitment z- means zero, zilch, nothing. They still take official visits while they're committed to other schools. They so it, it's and and it's just accepted. You know, you keep recruiting. Basketball is completely different. If that stuff's going on, and it does go on, but not anywhere to the degree of, of football, and it's always backdoor, under the radar. You know it's not so openly done. Will it continue to happen? Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's, it's frowned upon. It's not, you know, it's, it's not accepted. 
you know, he committed early. A couple things. One, I think from what I've gathered, he really, really is intrigued by staying close to home. Two, you know, he's uh, Will Bynum's nephew, I believe. Um, yeah. And Will Bynum and DePaul's assistant coach, Tim Anderson, uh, were both at Crane. So there's ties and connections that go pretty deep. So I just, you know, I, I see this topic comes up a lot of, and there, there's been more kids that are starting to commit early. Now Bryce Hopkins is even a, even a more uh, extreme case where he had a flood of high majors, you know, where he could have kind of waited it out, waited it out. But Bynum, he saw what he liked, he found it, and uh, it's a coup for DePaul, I think. Yeah, and Ron, the point is really simple. Uh, not everyone, not every kid, not every person wants college coaches bothering them constantly. It, it, the number of kids when I asked them if it was a relief when they committed, I mean, their whole faces, you can see the relief again. Yeah, you know, and that's for seniors. Yeah, I mean. I mean, you know, Bryce Hopkins flat out, you know, said that in the, in, you know, the story I wrote on Bryce's commitment to Louisville that it was getting to him. And, you know, Bryce is just a player that had, he had so many high major offers and so many uh, options at the early in his career that I, I can, I mean, people that aren't in the recruiting game and see it and hear it and talk with the kids and the, and the families and the college coaches, I mean, it is just a relentless process and it can wear you down. I feel like in two, you know, we've been doing this a long time. I remember when the eighth graders and freshmen were committing and sophomores were committing and that seemed early. I feel like junior year seems about right for a kid. If you, if you don't want to deal with this recruiting constantly, it's not crazy early, you know, it, it it might work as opposed to all these other things we've seen where some, sometimes it's too late. Sometimes it's too early. At some point, junior year doesn't seem wildly early to me. Um, all right. Two takes. Uh, you want to start us out, Joe? Yeah. Uh, as I kept mentioning with, with the shootouts and, and Mike touched on a little bit. Part of this is just the job that I think this is, I can't remember year 12 or uh, of the team rose. It said 12. Uh, yeah. 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 So, you know, they did a great job, and I think they found a nice venue, Mount Carmel. Uh, you know, it's a nice-sized gym, and it's just a, a good spot for a lot of the teams, and I, they did a fantastic job. But my, my take is to all those schools out there that have an opportunity to get into a shootout, particularly, you know, a few of the high-profile ones, Man, take that opportunity and 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 go for it. Try to get in them, because it, it really does provide some great exposure to, to your kids. Whether it be, I mean, you, 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 Mike was there all day long, and and anybody who covers or watches or follow, I'm saying follows high school basketball knows the coverage out there is not a whole lot anymore these days. And so, you know, Mike's there, and I'm there, and there's other basketball people there. There's there's college coaches, you know, when you put together a big event like that with a lot of high-profile teams and players, there's college coaches there. there uh, there's basketball people there. It's just an opportunity and also an opportunity to kind of get out of your comfort zone, get your kids in different environments and situations and play different styles. And, and, and I know everybody can't be in those events because there's not enough, as Mike just mentioned, there doesn't seem to be a lot of big-time high-profile 
shootouts, but whether it be that one or, or, or when sides collide or, or, or a Chicago League Classic, ones that have kind of brought you know the, the, the best teams together, don't sit back and, and, and wait uh, or, or be, I shouldn't say be afraid, but you, you should be aggressive and, and trying to, uh, to get a, land a spot in one of these events because you know not every single game at, at this past weekend was was high level. There was some blowouts and there's some teams we probably won't talk about the rest of the year, but it's a chance to be seen. It's a chance to be talked about it. And I just think it's uh, uh, an underrated, part of your scheduling is to create some high profile, big stage moments for your players and your kids. And it's just only, it's only going to make you better. You know, you know, Stevenson coming down and, and playing that game this weekend is great for them. They lost, um, to Oak park, but you know, a, a great opportunity for them. So that's kind of my, my take on, on, on the importance of the, the high profile shootout for teams. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I'm personally a little perturbed for the, uh, I was sitting next to, um, a reporter at the, uh, at the event and he was asking me about, you know, you know, as I following Julia West and stuff, what Julia West's chances were going to be against Simeon at assuming they both win the opening round games at Pontiac. And I told him, you know, I, I feel like if they played today, I'd really like our chance, Julia West's chances, but between then and now Simeon is going to play Westinghouse. Curie and Homewood Flossmore and probably somebody else. And they're going to be so much better than they are right now. And Joliet West, you know, they were supposed to play St. Rita on Saturday in a non-conference game and St. Rita canceled it. And that was a game they really needed because, you know, they're just not going to have as many tests and opportunities to get better as Simeon is just between now and December 26th. And that, that stinks for Juliet West and their chances in that game, I think. And maybe it, maybe it gives you some hope, though, Mike, because maybe what if Juliet West went in and won by three on uh, Saturday? Then you saw what Simeon did to St. Reed on Sunday. We'd have still gotten better. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, I'm just, it's, yeah, and I that's what I've been okay. A little sarcastic, yes. but. And that's what these shootouts provide so often. You know, you're just the, the normal non-conference games you get a coach schedules every year in their conference. It's not always going to provide what you need. And this shootout there, any of these shootouts are going to want to match you up against somebody different and interesting usually. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to make you better. So yeah, a hundred percent with what Joe says. Um, my first take is on Collinsville, a team I have not seen play. <laughs> so, so buckle up, <laughs> but no, I, I did a, as much reading as I could about Collinsville, read all this stuff about the Morgan park win. And it, it's really an eye opener. I mean, Joe and I both knew that the, or assumed thought the best team downstate, the four, a team that would show up in Peoria and, and be a contender was Collinsville. That was pretty certain. They'd lot back including Rayshon Taylor, but I didn't know just what level they were going to be at. We got a really good indication of that this weekend. They beat Morgan park in overtime. Rayshon Taylor, According to David Kivdahl from the uh, St. Louis newspaper, was the best all-around player on the court. He had 24 points, 11 rebounds, and 6 assists. Morgan Park's team only handed out 2 assists in the game, according to the stats. Uh, Taylor played the entire game, all 36 minutes, hit 14 to 16 free throws. This is also key. They've got size. Kedrian or Kedrian Jones, six foot seven, 14 points, nine rebounds. 
I mean, they clearly have proven now that they are going to be a major factor in 4A, and that's exciting. You know, you want the, whichever team gets through from the super sectional to, to be really good, and I'm excited to follow Collinsville the rest of the year. They're 8-0 so far. They just thwacked East St. Louis um, earlier, 51-36 to on December 10th. O'Fallon gave them a good game, but other than that, they really haven't been challenged. Um, they're at something called the Prairie Farms Tournament over the holidays, which I do not know what it is. Um, Collinsville, a holiday tournament? Yeah. Yeah, it's their own. It's their own? Okay. Yeah, that's a pretty tradition-rich for years and years. Um, they're going to play Simeon on February 8th. Um, that is the O'Fallon shootout, I believe. So we'll know more then, but it, it's great that we have that team down there now. We can keep an eye on, and we all know how good Morgan Park is, so Collins yeah. is for real. Yeah, and they, you know, this isn't a Belleville West type of, you know, team to beat to win 4A, but yeah, they're very, kudos to Collinsville. They came up here in the summertime and played, and Played all the Chicago teams uh, at, at the uh, Riverside Brookfield shootout. So, you know, a lot of people got some eyes on them, and and they clearly were a team that you walked away saying, yeah, okay, that's, you know, if you talk to people in Southern Illinois, they're kind of the team to beat down there. It's a little weak down there this year, so it, it, they are in good shape going forward. Uh, my second take is just on Notre Dame. The and I wrote a little bit about it. You can find online on the Sun Times website here uh, when I did my recap. And uh, I got a three-pointer column coming out too, but I, I do have some Notre Dame stuff and print. But just wanted to expand on it because I think I, I made the statement that they made the biggest statement at the Team Rose event this past weekend, more so because uh, of what they did, who they did it against, and who they did it without. And that was against Bogan, who I, you know when I when I heard Anthony Sales wasn't playing, and I'm a believer in Notre Dame. I ranked them high. Uh, Mike had them high. But I just figured, okay, this is not going to be... I picked Bogan to win uh, in my uh, weekend forecasts. I think I beat like by 10 points. I can't remember how lopsided it was. But I just didn't think they would be able to handle the, the pressure that Bogan would throw at them. And to think what Notre Dame went through this past week... Uh, I, they played four ranked teams with a combined record of 30 and three. They, they've, you throw DePaul prep who they played at Thanksgiving. That's five ranked teams currently in the top 20 that Notre Dame has already played. And three of those games were without Anthony sales. They do not have a whole lot of depth. They do not have multiple ball handlers. So Anthony sales is just critical piece for them. So going into the year, everybody's talking Morgan Park, Bogan, Morgan Park, Bogan, 3A. Well, now that Notre Dame's in 3A and they've dropped, you know, or, or they've gone, took took down Bogan, you have to include Notre Dame going forward. And, they're, and their schedule going forward is loaded still. Um, they play uh, Simeon in the, in the When Sides Collide event. They play... Um, uh, like three or four more, Mike. I think uh, ranked teams. Morgan Park. I think they still play. So I, I just, I think you have to add Notre Dame uh, to that mix of, and not that we didn't think they were going to be very good because we did, but they're clearly in that mix as, as a three eight title contender. And I think uh, the other thing, Mike. I know you would appreciate the the different styles they went from from playing Loyola 
on Friday night <laughs> and coming in 48 hours playing Bogan. And again, without Anthony Sales, that, that's huge for that team. I got to believe that that was a huge – you could see the emotion after the game. Yeah. As soon as that buzzer sounded. Yeah. They celebrated uh, like they'd won something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and I think it's because of what they – for the things I just said. I think they really dug deep. They really knew they were digging deep, and they were able to gut it out. And I think that's what that immediate jubilation was. Yeah, it was so impressive because not a lot went well. You know, speaking about the Bogan game in particular, you know, Troy D'Amico started well, and he finished, you know, really won them the game in a lot of ways at the end. But in between, you know, he had some struggles. They had a ton of problems. I'm looking at it now, 20 turnovers in the game. You know, they didn't have Anthony Sales out there, had some other guys handling the ball a lot. Uh, Louis Lamond was not really hot the whole game from outside. You know, he hit the free throws they needed at the end. So, yeah, that's kind of what made it so impressive was this was not a team firing on all cylinders, and they were still able to pull it out. There was a, a really controversial foul call that kind of won them the game. One of the city's best refs did it. Um, he knows what he's doing. I'm not questioning it in any way, but it, it, you always hate when a game kind of ends like that. Cause I thought it was going to be a super fun finish. And instead it was just some free throws, but it, on that call. Yeah. Uh, if, cause it, the whistle came late, which is why I think I, I thought it was a foul, uh, from my angle. You know, because he kind of came over the top of the back, but yeah. uh, I think it was a, a lot of it was because that the whistle just came a little bit delayed. It it definitely was a foul. It's just not a foul anybody really wants to happen right then, right? You know, because it was about to be the cool ending, um, and instead it wasn't. So yeah, it was. Just, it just felt like it wasn't a wrong move. It just felt like a buzz kill. But I also watched the Loyola game. Well, the last three quarters, I, I was at Young Lincoln Park early on Friday, so I got home. And Loyola broadcasts their their home games. It's really cool. Definitely check it out. And oh my goodness, you know it's typical Loyola is like thirty four to thirty one or whatever, and they, they lost that one, another close one, and the no, the Loyola kids stormed the floor. <laughs> so Notre Dame was in two basically court storming games back to back. They beat Marion Catholic as Joe Which is mentioned. a huge, that's a huge, you know, from Eastern East suburban Catholic conference. Oh, they only yeah. played each other one time. So, and those are the two best teams. And there were a lot of Loyola fans. They don't understand why they're ranked lower, even the Loyola's undefeated and they just beat them. And I get that. But if you look at what Loyola did this week without Anthony sales, it's remarkable. Sorry. What Notre Dame did this week without Anthony sales, it's remarkable. And they deserved it. They're all the way up to number three, which did seem pretty wild to me when I was typing it in, but I couldn't see why not. Um, all right. Oh, and we hear good things about Anthony sales. He'll be back. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he's he's uh, it's all been kind of precautionary now. He was supposed to go to doctor again today, uh, Monday, to kind of see what the progress is, but it's not supposed to be too bad or too long. Yeah, that was really good news. I, we'd heard some stuff that wasn't so good earlier. I'm also hearing Donovan Newby's back. He's ready to go. He'll be playing in Thornton next. Thornton, <coughs> sorry, Bloom's next game. So that's exciting. You know, we didn't want to lose both those guys for the season. That would have been really lousy. And oh, that that is my uh, second take here. Got to talk about the game. Thornton beats Bloom. Uh, there's been a lot happening since then, but nothing bigger. It was just an unbelievable night in Harvey. Just the crowd. Oh, I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit worried that it just wasn't going to be packed. I've seen some some bad crowds. 
at Thornton over the last several years for some big playoff games even. And so I just had no confidence that I, it was going to be what, be what I wanted and be what I hoped it would be. And it, it would sold out and people were into every single moment of the game. It was so much fun. I'm not sure I'll have a better atmosphere this season or a more exciting result. The one downside of the game and the reason Bloom is still number one is, and I don't want to take anything away from Thornton. It's just, that was not full strength Bloom. It was not the feel of two powerhouses going up against one another. Everybody firing on all cylinders. It was Bloom without newbie, without their point guard. It was Bloom with Keyshawn Williams constantly fiddling with his face mask on his head and taking it off and missing a very long portion of the game while he replaced it with tape and then missing any more when he tried this bandage. And he was just never right. He missed a wide-open dunk, which if you've seen Keyshawn Williams play, you know that doesn't happen. And then Martise Mitchell, just by his own fault, was basically, I don't know if he was on the court more than four minutes constant foul he was in foul trouble right away and throughout you know good for Thornton to get him in that you know I'm sure that has to be part of any team's game plan against Bloom but he was a non-factor and so Bloom played about three quarters of the game with a lot of sophomores on the court and they still had a chance to win it right at the end and Thornton came through and pulled it away so it just didn't it wasn't enough for me to elevate Thornton up that high. I should have put him higher in the rankings. I was talking about this with Joe earlier. It's tough for me. I do him on Sunday night. I'm going to whine here, but I had about a half an hour. I probably should have had Thornton six or seven, not 11 where they are. That's my bad. I will do my best to make up for it next week. Um, and then everybody else lost. That could have been number one, except for Evanston and Bloom in my mind still has the best resume with the teams they've beat. So Bloom holds on. And I feel like maybe it's my fault that I've taken away from that great event a little bit by not making the results stand up. But with everything that happened in the week, that's just how it how it went. But man, look out for Thornton because they are rebounding monsters. We know what that'll do to a high school basketball game. 46 rebounds against Bloom. Donald Coates, the, the transfer 6'7 kid from Thornwood, had 11 boards. I think only 5 or 6 points. DJ Williams, just a monster. He's the kid I wrote about. 17 rebounds. Fought Christian Shoemate tooth and nail. I'm going to talk about Shoemate later in this. But he, he was, I'm not sure there's going to be a kid all year that's going to be able to deal with what Shoemate deals out like DJ Williams did. So Thornton is really good. It's going to be fun to see how well they do this year. And it was just a, a great night in Harvey. We're going to dive now into our three surprises. Uh, we have, you know, we decided to do whether it be a player or a topic or a team or whatever it might be, we just selected three early season surprises. Again, we're only sitting here in mid-December. A lot can change and and will. But uh, my first one is, I don't even know if it's, I, I'm not, I didn't do any, a historical check to see if this is even a surprise. Uh, so I'm going to quiz Mike on it. So, Uh-oh. <laughs> It's really not nothing you can get right <laughs> anyway. But so as we sit here, uh, December, whatever, what is it, 16th, middle of December, there are how many teams, Mike, do you think are either unbeaten? And, and when I say this, I mean of the major conferences that are out there. I mean, um, it's high, like 14. every notable conference, uh, undefeated 
or one loss teams. Oh, oh geez. There's a, a lot of one loss. Most of the rankings are one loss. So, yeah, I have no idea how much that, that could be like 30. I don't know. Well, that's okay. That's a, that's interesting because that's why I was going to ask you. Like, if you had a, I mean, not that anybody ever keeps track of this over the years. So I counted them up. And this, again, this is not even counting some of the really, and I want to pick out the conferences on the, so I don't want to offend them. But I mean, the conferences really don't matter, I guess. It's not counting any of those, these schools. There's 47 teams that are sitting with either unbeaten or one loss. And I, my surprise is in a year where after the, when Mike and I do our preseason rankings and we, you know, after 15, it's kind of upper grabs and I'm the idiot that does 85, uh, that there's that many because I just figured everybody's going to kind of be beating everybody. And, you know, there's, there's, there's not really a whole bunch of high profile games this coming week. Uh, you know, as we head in the, the week before the holiday tournaments, I mean, maybe a couple of them will get upset and some of them will beat each other, but there's really not, they're not matching up is what I'm saying. There's going to be just a surplus of holiday tournaments with, with these glitzy records. And I, I don't, and again, I don't have a historical database here to, to have anything to compare it to, but I just find it hard to believe that there's, there's been that many on a regular basis with this good of a record going into holiday tournaments. I wonder if the bad Thanksgiving tournaments had a lot to do with that. Yeah, they are, and, and and them being spread out, and that, no, that's true because there's very there were very few outside of, uh, I mean, uh, uh, two or three. There's just hardly anything that there's a lot of teams that came out that are unbeaten. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Yeah, I've heard a couple coaches speculating about starting their own Thanksgiving tournaments, and guys go for it. <laughs> that's uh, we need that needs to be freshened up. We need some. We don't want everybody doesn't need to be four and zero in the first week and be seven and one now. Um, all right, my first surprise, Christian Shoemate. Just talked about him a little bit, but I wrote it uh, earlier this week or late last week, whatever. I think he is the most. I talked to Joe about it a little bit. I think he's the most feared player in the area right now. By feared, I mean I don't think an actual player on another team wants to go anywhere near this guy. You do not want to be near him with the ball because he's going to block your shot and you don't want to be anywhere near him when he has the ball because he's going to dunk on you. He is just complete embarrassment <laughs> for his opponents. This kid, I mean, I'd seen him play twice, I think before uh, this season, you know, he was at Plainfield East. He was the athletic kid, um, you know, had some size. He is like a grown man basketball player now out on the high school court. Uh, it's just been, he's been unbelievably surprising to me. The impact he has on both ends is just amazing. He could be one of the best shot blockers I've ever covered. Um, definitely the best at his size. And it's just been, it's so much fun to watch. I did not know we were going to have a player like that this season. And it's just been a huge surprise to me. Yeah, I could have easily put him as one of my surprises just because I did watch him quite a bit. I, mean, I watched him a ton uh, between Plainfield East and AAU. And, and there's one significant difference in the two or three times this year is that he is playing with this high level of energy and competitiveness. And that's what he needed to do. Cause that's then his athleticism just takes over uh, the things you just mentioned. So yeah. And that kind of leads into my, one of my, my uh, surprises and that's 
and, and Christian Shoemate can be included in this group. But you know, a lot of people talk about the Chicago area and Illinois being a little over recruited. And I, I and, and the junior class right now, the class of 2021, is clearly going to be better than the current crop of seniors, class of 2020. But with that all being said, one of the surprises to me as I watch these seniors starting to play out their senior year, many of which have already committed and signed their with their schools, and a few that are uncommitted, is how under-recruited so many of the players in Illinois and Chicago area were in the class of 2020. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, I'm not talking, I'm not, not, talk, not talking specifically about the level they're recruited at. It's just the amount, you know, I'm, all of them are pretty much being recruited for the most part at the level they should be recruited at. But there are some that had very little going and I can go through the a long lengthy list. Christian Shoemate's on there for Christian Shoemate not to have. And again, some of this is partly he has transformed himself into a different player. I really believe that. So the, he is going to have to be – this player is going to have to be seen. But Christian Shoemate should have Division One offers with the way he's playing. Multiple, multiple Division One offers uh, from the low major to maybe some mid-majors. Uh, and, and on and on. I mean, Jeremiah Williams has, has not gotten off to a big start for Simeon. But the amount of mid-majors that are recruiting him, that are actively involved in, with him, are, is far too short. You know, Aaron Eulis, I felt, was was a little under-recruited. You know, Bennett and Jordan Kwasinski at Loyola. Dante Maddox at, at Bloom. Uh, he had a lot of offers. But, yeah, I, I just think – and, and you, you mentioned, Mike, Rayshon Taylor from Collinsville. He's going to SIUE. And this kid is terrific. Uh, the list goes on and on. You know, R.J. Ogham at Homewood Flossmore should have been more highly recruited. Donovan Newby at Bloom, uh, who did sign with Milwaukee, and Ogham's going to College of Charleston. They they all ended up finding spots, which is all that matters. But there is just a surplus of players in this class who I really think were a little bit overlooked, and I think a lot of them are proving that, and they're proving that some of these are going to be real recruiting steals. At, at the at the school that they they signed with this past fall. Yep, that is my second surprise. It's R.J. Ogum. I sat down with this. You know, we needed to come up with three surprises. So you run through players, teams, and I've seen two players already in the first what three weeks of the season here that just really shocked me. R.J. Ogum, another, and it's that grown man thing and an athlete. He was spectacular in the I think the two games I saw that first week. The performance against Marion Catholic, I think 27 points, 12 rebounds. He's blocking shots. He's throwing down dunks that are just absolutely next level, unbelievable. The two best dunks I've seen, better than anything I've seen Shoemate or anyone in the city do. He does not look like, he looks like someone that should be going to a major big time school. And you haven't even highlighted arguably his greatest strength, which, I mean, too much here highlighted it, and that's his shooting ability. Which he can really stroke it. Yeah, which has improved a ton. He has like a mid-range game, which which you don't see a lot. Yeah, I am a huge fan of him. I mean, it, it, people are going to be shocked when he shows up at College of Charleston, not that I know much about them, but they have gotten a huge steal. And that this kid, you know, he's he's not big in the all-area race right now. Or Sorry, all player of the year race he's clearly an all-area player i think but i think if you go out and see an hf game you're going to come away absolutely shocked by what rj ogham has become he's a monster 
My last surprise is uh, a look at a few teams who were all coming off really big-time win totals and success a year ago, who were all expected to take, still be good, still be competitive, but probably all expected to take a, a big step back from where they were a year ago. And I've seen them all now. And I think they are made. They, they, all three of them, four of them, may not reach the level they did last year, but they're all better than I expected, and that to me is a surprise. And I saw Wabansi Valley this past week. You know, Wabansi Valley last year went twenty-seven and five, won a regional, but they only returned one starter, Marcus Skeet, and he's been filling a stat sheet and has helped them to an unbeaten start and a growing hoops report favorite, Ben Schweiger, a 6'5 wing, uh, who was a sophomore last year, and now he's a junior. He's one of my top 20 prospects in the class. Very rarely is a top 20 prospect in the class. He's been that way since I saw him in the offseason. Average, like three points a game as a sophomore, but that's what he did. And now he's up to 14, 15 a game. Uh, Isaiah Smith, a junior, played really well in the game. I watched them. They, they really took it to Nequa Valley. But Wabansi Valley's unbeaten. Uh, they're going to be a 20-plus win team. I think they're, you know, again, they went 27 games last year. The schedule is not the strongest schedule uh, over the course of the year, but uh, they're going to have a high win total. Another team, York, 29-5 and last year. Uh, they are 7-1 or 8-1. Nate Shockey's the leader, but they, they're getting, you know, they've got some good wins already. That ball press defensively gives people fits. Whenever they play him, it's tough to prep for. Uh, you know, sophomore Nick Hesh and and uh, Jeff Grace is a another guard that, that complements Shockey well. So York's off to a, a really good start. Schaumburg, probably not as good as last year, or not probably. I don't think they are because defensively they don't. They got some room to grow. But Hodges is back, and they went twenty three and seven, won a regional last year. There, to me. I think they are the the class of the mid suburban league, and could surpass twenty wins again. And I I just did not expect that from Schaumburg this year, even with the return of Hodges. And then the last one, a little more high profile. I think Curie is better than I thought they were going to be. Now it's a very small sample size. I've seen them once. They've only got I think they've only played five games, but you know I was sitting there. Um, I was with Rob Smith with Simeon, with Simeon during the game, sitting with them, and I'm, you know, we're just talking as we're watching the game. And I, when the game started, I said, "Man, Rob, I just don't see how Curie's gonna be that good this year." I mean, I, you know, he's supposed to play him this week, and Rob, Rob Smith's like, "No, you're wrong, Joe. Um, their their lower levels are always good, and he complimented him. It's because you played him this week. Is that why? You know, so the so the point is that from the tip off to the end of the game." And uh, I, I just was really impressed with with Curie. Are they going to be as good as last year? No, I don't think so. But they are going to be better than the Curie team I thought going into the year because they had they had a lot of question marks. Uh, lost player of the year, uh, three key seniors from year, four seniors from last year's team. So they, to me, again, just after one game watching them. But I think they're going to be better than I personally thought they were. So they're a surprise to me, and I may be on an island by myself on that one. I don't. That's my um, 
third surprise is Hillcrest because of that game. I don't know what happened in that game. I'm going to get into it specifically because it's weird. And but first, I want to start out uh, with Hillcrest. Um, they were one of the most, I think, the teams I was most excited about coming into the season. Um, we knew some of the guys they had back from last year were, were, were good. Um, they'd had a couple kids really, you know, establish themselves over the spring and summer that Joe had been writing about. And it's Hillcrest. And it sounded like a really exciting group in the South Suburbs. Then, you know, Marquise Irving starts the season with an injury. And that's huge to them. But they're at Bloom to start the season. And they only lost by six points to Bloom at Bloom without Marquise Irving. And it's like, well, you know, I wasn't at this game, but you're looking at the score. I'm reading them, and I'm like, well, there you go. There's proof. You know, Hillcrest is going to be really good this year. Then they lose to HF by 18 without Irving. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, well, they need Irving back. Marquise Irving comes back. They get a nice win against Oak Lawn on the road. They beat Oak Lawn by seven. So then they're coming into the big high-profile game against Curie. And it, I don't know what to think of either team after this game. <laughs> Jacoby Hetty scored 31 points for Hillcrest. Hillcrest scored 47. I'm not sure I've ever covered a game with so few players scoring for a team. Uh, Kenton Wright started, you know, guard for Hillcrest, didn't score. Marquise Irving started, you know, played the whole thing for Hillcrest, didn't score. Um... Hamari Bowers, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, you know, the guy who established himself over the summer, played the whole game, started for Hillcrest, scored three points. Um, Other guys didn't score. It was literally just Julius Rollins with 13 points and Jacoby Hetty with the 21. They turned the ball over nearly 20 times. I'm not counting my slashes here, like 18. I, I just, I don't know what happened there. They were blitzed. From the beginning, it was ugly. They never were able to recover. There was a technical early, which I think happened when these teams played last year. And I just, I mean, I think it's tempting to believe what Joe thinks. The Curie is a lot better than we thought. But I feel like it was just a weird spectacle of an hour and a half. (laughs) And I just want to throw it all out. Yeah, I'm going to do my best to, not to make excuses for Hillcrest. Well, it's going to sound like I am. But... As I'm watching, I agree with you. Hillcrest is not where I think either one of us thought they'd be at this point. Yeah, granted, their three losses are to three really, really good teams. Yeah. But they're, to me, a couple of things. Marquis Serving, I think, is kind of their unsung guy, their, their, their heart of that team. And to me, watching him in that game, Mike, I saw a player coming off an injury who's a football player. I, he just seems so not ready to play a basketball or be, and he, and he gives all out effort and hustle and he's tough and he's competitive, but the basketball player didn't even mm-hmm. come close to being the guy that I'm accustomed to seeing. Then as excited as I, and again, Jacoby Heady was terrific, but excited as, as I was about both Jacoby Heady and Amari Bowers, who had very good off seasons and progressed and became legit prospects and vaulted up my rankings. They still have never, they, neither one of them played varsity basketball uh, a year ago. Um, so I, I think that's a little bit, uh, he played the part, looked the part, so you can't really say that. But 
I, I just think, you know, they are clearly a step behind or below the powers in 3A, such as Bogan, Morgan Park, and Notre Dame. But I, I'll be interested to see if between now and February, as some of these things come together that I just mentioned, if they aren't at least much closer uh, to being in that top echelon. I, I don't think Mike's saying he's given up on them at all, and I'm not saying that either. I just, right now, they are, they've got to get better guard play. I and mean, that's just, yeah, you know, they're, they're playing with a freshman a little bit. Kenton Wright's, you know, but again, Irvin, I think, is going to be the key and to get him right. And in that by right, I mean just back in the regular basketball mode, which, which takes a lot of time. I mean, I'm not sure when he started practicing. Maybe you know, Mike. Um, but he just seemed completely out of sorts. And I blame that because of the time off. Uh, you go from football to injury to, you know, kind of being thrown into a game like that. It's, it's, it's a little challenging. Yeah, I talked to Anthony Sales about that a little bit at the Chicago League Classic, actually, asking him um, what it was like this year. You know, if it gets easier because you're used to doing it. You know, this is before he got hurt. And he, he said it was harder this year, you know, that adjustment over. And he kind of still felt like a football player, you know, on the basketball court. And, yeah, I get that. That definitely makes a lot of sense for Marquis serving, and especially for what Hillcrest needs him to do. You know, and he I don't know how much he practiced, but, he, boy, it can't have been much because – he was thrown right in there because the season was underway, you know, when he was getting healthy. So, yeah, that's got to be a huge problem. So, yeah, so, I feel like, yeah, that game just confuses me now because Gary, just that third quarter, they just demolished Hillcrest. Yeah. Oh. My my thing with Curry, not so much the result as much as the individual players. Uh, and I wrote a little bit about it um, in, in uh, online today. But just um, – you know, we know Ramin Hinton is Ramin Hinton and what he provides and what he does. But they just have these no-name guys that, to me, in their roles and what they did, Mike wrote about um, the senior, uh, Josiah Hammonds. Hammonds. Yeah, the shooter. You know, yeah, he knocked down shots. I wrote about, I really like Nick Owens, the, the junior point guard, all five foot seven of them. I, I just, you know... I, I just think their individual pieces are a little bit better than I anticipated. Yeah, I saw a lot of Nick Owens and Elijah Pickens last year. They got in occasionally, and we knew that Armand Williams, you know, is a good, strong player. I didn't know anything about Josiah Hammonds. No clue. Assumed actually that he'd transferred from somewhere. <laughs> asked him after the, you know, talking about the game. He's like, "Nope, I've been sitting here." And then I asked him how many games he got in like last year. I said, "Like when I wasn't there, did you get in?" And he said, "No." <laughs> It sounds like he might not have played. I couldn't get him to admit that he'd played a single minute last year and Simeon's varsity as a junior. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. Um, so, yeah, that was wild. And, you know, a shooter like that just helps everything, especially since we know what Ramin Hinton brings. So, yeah, it'll be fun to see how that goes. I'm definitely not giving up on Hillcrest. And Don Houston, their coach, has been through it all. You know, been to Peoria, knows what that's like. And he's a great guy. It's one of the reasons I feel okay picking on his teams <laughs> sometimes because I know he can take it. Um, but yeah, I, I knocked Hillcrest out of the rankings. It felt a little harsh, but I really wanted to get York in right now. And Hillcrest, you know, they only really had the Oak Lawn win. So they'll be back, I'm sure. We'll be seeing plenty of Hillcrest. Are uh, you ready to get into this week, Joe? You sound pretty excited about it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's just <laughs> not the most uh, appetizing week of basketball. Um, I hear from people that 
Morgan Park and Curie are going to play Tuesday night. I have no, um, I don't know. That's what I hear. Uh, that's the best I can do for you. If you're reading this, I'd try to find out for yourself or just not even risk it because at this point, who knows? And I, I just have to do it now before I get into this. I am over this schedule business. Things are a nightmare since they expanded the number of games, the IHSA, and everybody's just canceling and adding games right and left and doing it like willy nilly. And I don't know about everyone. Okay, um, yeah, an awful lot of teams. I, and, I, and I think a lot of the city. Are, yeah, but I, we just mentioned St. Rita. Um, no, there's plenty yeah, going and, on. Uh, yeah. yeah. But I don't like the readjustment of games. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the mean publicly game? The ones? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, just, I, don't, I don't Yeah, but I'll bet know. you you wish Curie and Simeon weren't playing on Thursday and that would have been readjusted. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I... And, who knows if it will take place? Oh, have you heard? I've heard it is, but so we'll. we'll I mean, I'd be very happy if that was readjusted. Um, well, yeah, that should be in January. Yeah, and they moved the Morgan Park Simeon game. Um, and Curie and Sim- Curie and Simeon is going to play. Let's say they play Thursday and then play again, very likely again a in, week later. A week later. Yeah, it's messy. And which which yeah, I should have asked Robert Smith this when I was with him. Which game's more important? Thursday's game or the one on uh, December 27th? Um, the only thing Thursday's matters for is your city championship seed. And if you care about winning a conference. If you win on at Pontiac, you get the chance to play a really high-level title game. And I might be speaking this is yeah. out of turn, but it, with these public league playoffs... I mean, are the does it really matter if you win the Red South uh, Central or the Red West North? Or I mean, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you get to play a white team. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, but seeding purposes, was, yes. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but my point, I would think that the to win, win Pontiac, the chance to yeah. win a Pontiac tournament yeah. is clearly more enticing than I would agree uh, to so. me for sure. Anyway. Sorry about that, but yeah, can we get that, some? Uh, yeah, some I mean, so my, 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 my point was yeah. move the game so then the first time they play each other is for the most important thing, which would be December 27th at Pontiac. Tuesday night, today, as you listen to this, um, well, we, I had some issues because I thought I might go see Oak Forest at Sandberg, but that's not a game. It's actually, <laughs> it's actually Oak Forest Revis, I think. Or it might be Revis Yorkville. We don't know. Jack Gleason was doing his best. There were four possible options. Things are a mess. We need the IHSA to mandate schedules, hand it in to them, and put them on the IHSA website. Please, now, before it gets even crazier. Anyway, uh, Solorio is at Lindblom. Two teams I, I like to keep my eye on, even though Lindblom is off to a rough start in their life in the red. Uh, Timley Park is at Marion Catholic, which is interesting, or maybe not. Um, do you think they can hang in there with them at all, Joe? Uh, they beat Schaumburg. You like Schaumburg. Yeah, I do. I just, nah, I think Marion Catholic's a different level. It seems like a lot, yeah. And then Leiden, who I will admit to knowing absolutely nothing about, but they beat Proviso East in a pretty cool, shocking result over the weekend. They are at Oak Lawn in what should be a fun game. Maybe I'll show up there. Uh, Wednesday... We have Crane at Collins, always a good rivalry. Proviso East is at Thornton. 
Simeon is at Westinghouse. Huge week for Simeon. That's a fun game. And St. Rita is at Dunbar, who we always like to keep track of. They've got some players there. Thursday is possibly the Curie at Simeon at 5 o'clock. Friday, we've got DePaul at Leo. Fenwick at St. Rita. The Battle of St. Charles North, always a really fun game. Both teams playing well this year, too. St. Charles North is at St. Charles East. That's the better gym, so that's the one to go to, in my opinion. (laughs) Uh, Rolling Meadows is at Prospect. Really fun test for Max Christie. I've seen him play Prospect at least definitely one of the three years. I'm intrigued by this game. I I like Prospect's a team you can really trust. You know, They're going to come up with something to stop. Max Christie, and they're going to put in a, a real fun effort, and so it's, it's a nice test for him. I might wind up there. Uh, but Simeon is at home with Flossmoor, which is a really cool game. Simeon in the suburbs is always a rarity. And Yorkville Christensen is at Stevenson. That's a really intriguing game. You like that? Jaden Shutt, we should mention, set a record. Is it a record, Joe? Because it was set against <laughs> Universal? <laughs> Yeah, Mike. Mike has heard of the school. I hadn't, so yeah. uh, <laughs> it's a record. But technically, I, it's a record. Uh, I feel like some people are getting cheated. But if Jaden Shuck can pour in thirteen against Stevenson, I'll count it uh, as the new record. But um, Saturday, uh, Curie is at North Lawndale, and then listen to this one. I'm excited about this game. This is the game I'm most excited about this week. Lake Park at Mundelein. Two unbeatens. One of them's going down. Hopefully. They're still unbeaten then. I've not seen either team yet. I'm very excited. I will be in Mundelein. Saturday night at 6 o'clock. Book it. Last time I tried to get to Mundelein, there was a snowstorm. I will chop her in if I have to. I'm going to be at that game for sure. Uh, Also, York is at Willowbrook. Should be a fun one. Sunday, it looks like completely decimated. I think Young is playing in some tropical climate somewhere. And we literally have zero local games on Sunday. How about that? And then it heats up. Yes, it Holiday does. Holiday tournament, which will be our next podcast. Holiday tournament preview time. Joe and I will immediately, as we end recording this, or later this week, start to figure <laughs> out how the heck we're going to do our holiday tournament podcast, which sometimes we've hated. Sometimes, have we ever really liked one? Um, I, yeah. I <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a rough one. Yeah, it's hard to figure out because talking about brackets when not everybody's looking at the bracket... Is and it, you don't know how they're going to materialize? Yeah, it's really rough. Like, why are you previewing a game Pot- that might not happen? Potential matchups? <laughs> yeah. So we're Joe and I are going to put our <laughs> meager brains together and try and come up with a really great holiday tournament preview for everybody, and that'll be next time. Do look for it sooner. I haven't decided yet, but I think I might even post it on Friday because I know a lot of you will probably be traveling over the weekend um, for the holidays to wherever you go. And it'd be great if you could listen on the way I know. So look for that a little bit sooner and send your questions in, send them in now, as soon as you want, uh, M O B R I E N at sometimes.com. And we will get to them before we get into the tournaments. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll be back in just a few days.